six o'clock. So let's turn to God's Word in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to read from verse 8 through to 17. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of the light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, this is Isaiah, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We'll finish that. We're um, picking up this morning from where we left off last time as we're going through this uh, series in, in Ephesians. We've come to these chapters 4 and 5 and then 6 as well, which are very practical applications of what's gone on before in the letter to the Ephesians, the first three chapters. And the theme of this particular passage we're looking at and the, the passage we looked at um, last time we were in this chapter, uh, the theme is that of light and darkness. And the title for this morning would be Our, Our Light Exposes the Darkness. Our Light Exposes the Darkness. And I uh, just want to look through this passage uh, just under three headings. First of all, we are to behave as children of light. Secondly, we are to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Thirdly, we are to make bear, B-A-R-E, to keep my three B's alliteration, we are to make bear the works of darkness. So first of all, we are to behave as the children of light. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I don't know if you remember, but last time we, we saw that as Christians, we don't just walk in the light. We are light. Wherever we go, we are light. That's what Jesus said to his, his disciples, wasn't it? You are the light of the world. So Jesus is the light. He lives in us and we become light to the world. And so for that reason, we are to behave as children of the light. We, we are to live as children of the light. Not, we're not to live in the darkness. And the first part, if you look at verse 11, the first part reinforces that. The sort of need to um, live as and behave as children of light. It says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. 
Okay? Have no fellowship. D- don't partake in them. D- don't let them be a part of your life. They have no part in us. So we're not to engage in the unfruitful works of darkness. So what are the unfruitful works of darkness? I mean, you've got to know what they are if we're not to have fellowship with them. That's right, isn't it? So what are the unfruitful works of darkness? Well, we looked at this last time. Verse 3 and 4, Paul um, highlights some of them. He says, but fornication, that's basically sex outside of marriage and anything to do with that, any impurity, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. Sort of, he, he highlights some of those unfruitful works of darkness. It's sort of to do with, our, if you like, ungodly passions, ungodly behavior as Christians. And we're not even to name them. It says, at, verse, at the end, is it verse uh, 3? Let them not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Verse 12 says, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Now that can't mean that we don't talk about them, because Paul's talking about them. can't mean that we're not to ever mention them, and talk about them like that. I think what it means is this, that we're not to make them part of our normal conversation so that we dignify them, we normalize them. That they're sort of part and parcel of life. We are to treat them as being wrong in, our, in how we act and how we talk about them. Because we're children of light. And so our behavior has to match that. If, if you're walking in the light, you have nothing to hide. If we're walking and behaving as children of light, there's nothing to hide before God that we would be ashamed of. If you, if you, go, if you fly nowadays, you go through any airport, you've always got to go through security. You know, your, your, your hand luggage goes through, goes through the x-ray machine. You, even you have to walk through the body scanner. If you've ever, it sets it off, doesn't it? The slightest thing. And, uh, but you know, it's a wonderful feeling if you're going through security, an airport security, and you've got nothing to hide. It's very different, not that I've ever been in this position, but it's very different if you've got something illegal in your bag or in your hand luggage. Has anybody ever forgotten that they've got nail clippers in or they've got a little bit of liquid in the, you know, and the thing beeps and you, you think, oh, goodness me, what have I forgotten now? Am I going to jail or something, you know? But to go through with a clean conscience, you know, that's what we should have as Christians. That's what we should aim for before God and even before other people. And God's far more sensitive to sin than any airport x-ray or security is to, to illegal things. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 24, 16. I was thinking about this, it came to mind. I must have learnt this in the old, when I was young, because <laughs> it's in the authorised. And it says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offence toward God and toward man. 
So Paul, Paul so he said, I've got to exercise myself. I've got to make sure my conscience is clear all the time before God and before other people. It's a wonderful thing to have a clean conscience. So, beloved, is, is, is that true for you right now? Is your conscience clean before God? Have you got a clear conscience? And before others, you in fellowship and right and you feel good do you have good thoughts towards others is, is there someone you don't have good thoughts towards let's just take a moment let's just a personal reflection do you have a, I, I, do you have that because if not and, and if there's something troubling you and maybe as we've worshipped God and, and the holiness of God or the wonder of God and, and there's been something there then settle your mind to, to, to get that right with God now don't, don't Put it off. If, if, you, if, if your conscience is troubling you, always act. Don't Because if we don't, our, our conscience becomes a bit hardened. And heart becomes hardened. If there's something you need to get right with somebody, then do that. Settle your mind. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to ask for forgiveness or whatever needs to be done. Husband, wife, with children, parents. And, you know. We need to have that clean conscience with God and before others as well so we are to behave as children of light secondly we are to bear the fruit of the spirit it's not just about behaving as children of light it isn't just about negative not doing things it's, there's a lovely positivity about it some of the fruit of the spirit is mentioned in verse 9 for the fruit of the Spirit, if you've got an NIV, and there's a, mine's got a footnote as well, it says fruit of the light. Um, some of the uh, older manuscripts have fruit of the light. I, I don't think there's that much difference. They're sort of, so I'll interchange. So, for the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of the light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Does anybody remember what the text for this year is? Well, that's depressing. <laughs> John 15, verse 8. And what's it to do with? Fruitfulness. You're with me, aren't you? Yeah. It's on your bulletin every week, so it should be there. Okay. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's about bearing fruit. The most, I think the most familiar passage about the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be in Galatians 5, 22, 23, which says the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. There's nine, aren't there? Love, joy, peace. I've got three. <laughs> love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, meekness. Self-control. I think we got there. There's nine of them. That Galatians 5, 22, 23. It's good, a bit of interaction. Galatians 5, 22, 23. So there's, that's, that's the familiar fruit of the Spirit list. This is the unfamiliar fruit of the Spirit list. One of the fruit of the Spirit is mentioned in both passages. Goodness. 
but the others two aren't, righteousness and truth. By the way, the lists, you know, there's a list of the gifts, aren't there? And um, there are more than one list of gifts of the Spirit showing that actually those are just a, an example, if you like, of the gifts of the Spirit. And it's the same here. I'm, I'm sure there are more fruit of the Spirit. These are just examples of the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruit is goodness. It's the Greek word, Greek word agathos, and it's to do with how we relate to each other. How we interrelate with each other, our attitudes towards each other. That, and it's talking about being kind and caring and considerate and loving, being good in our behaviour towards each other. I think goodness is basically love in action. These, uh, earlier on in this week, uh, I went to a, I was down in Torquay. No, I wasn't sunning it. It was a conference. I was, went with Tony, and it was the FIEC uh, Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches conference. And uh, the main speaker was a, an American speaker. I won't hold that against him, but uh, he he sort of highlighted this whole area of goodness in one of his messages. And he, he took us to Titus, chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you want to turn to that. Titus, Timothy, Timothy, Titus. Titus 2, verse 15. Sorry, I beg his pardon. I'll, t I'll start with Titus 3, verse 15, actually. I'm reading in the NIV. It says... Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. We are to be devoted to goodness. Devoted. And to doing what is good. Another verse again, that Titus 2.14 in the NIV. It says, Who gave himself, and that, that's Christ, for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Zealous for good works, the new King James has. What the, um, the, the speaker at this conference was basically, basically saying was this. Many Christians feel that they're unproductive. They feel unfruitful. You know, the, the Christian working in the office or on the factory floor or the, 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 the faithful mum looking after the children, the older person who's retired and maybe feeling that they've not got a role or a bit uh, redundant. And what he was saying is this, every person who seeks to do good and is devoted to goodness is being fruitful. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing. However, if you're zealous for good and goodness and good works, wherever you are, you are being fruitful for God. It might not seem spectacular, but unconsciously you're bearing fruit. You're shining in the darkness by your good works, by your serving, by your attitudes, by your love, you're actually being fruitful in what you're doing. 
fruitful for God. Even Christian slaves, even slaves of that day were encouraged to do good and to live out their lives and to be fruitful. You think slaves couldn't be fruitful in, the, in their setting. How could they be profitable for God? But look at Titus 3 verse 5. Titus was encouraged. Is it 3 verse 5? That didn't look right. It's somewhere there anyway. I'll, I'll find it after us. But even the slaves were actually encouraged to put, put on that armour of love, if you like, and show that love of Christ and to be fruitful in their service. Just by doing good, just by loving, just by practising your faith in a very real way. That is attractive, friends. That is shining. You're actually showing what the Christian life is like. You're giving weight and uh, it's, it, you're actually adorning. You're, you're, you're letting the truth of God's word be shown to be true and real by your life. So don't get, grow weary in well-doing. Paul says, don't let us not grow weary in well-doing, but through... In due season we shall reap in, in, if we faint not. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. So, keep doing good. The next fruit is verse 9. In, going back to Ephesians 5, uh, in verse 9 is righteousness. That's right living, rightness of character, behavior before God. And then the fruit of the Spirit is truth. And that's to do with integrity and honesty and reliability came across this quote by Charles Spurgeon. I think it sums it up really well, this uh, standing of the Christian, this behaviour. He said the Christians, said that Christians should be dogmatically true, <coughs> obstinately holy, immovably honest, desperately kind, fixed, upright. Now, is that true of you and me? Dogmat are you dogmatically true, obstinately holy, immovably honest, desperately kind, fixed, upright? That's showing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That, that's the evidence that I'm a child of God. That's, that's my light shining through my life. So we are to behave as children of light. Secondly, we are to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Thirdly, we are to make bare, B-A-R-E, make bare the works of darkness. Look at verse 11, Ephesians 5 verse 11. It says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. What does that mean, to expose them? To expose the unfruitful works of darkness. The word is the same word that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit when he said that the, when the Holy Spirit will come, he will convict the world. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness. He will convince the world and so expose the world. 
How do we do that? How are you doing that now? Exposing, convicting, convincing the unfruitful works of darkness. How are you doing that? Well, I think it can mean this. I think it can mean that we are, at times, to talk about things with our non-Christian friends, neighbours and family and explain to them with our words, actually, that isn't what God wants. That's not right. That's, that's not God's will. I, I think it's right that there is a time to explain that. Not, not in a hectoring way, not in a judgmental way. Um, it's not that we're sort of uh, uh, railing against every wrongdoing at all like that, but with, with grace, with love, with kindness, we're to explain and share why things are wrong, why they're wrong in God's eyes. But I don't think that's the primary way that we expose the works of darkness. I think the primary way is simply by shining our light, by behaving in a godly way, by living out our lives. It's talking about the influence that you have among non-Christian friends. It's talking about the effect that your life and your attitudes and your behaviour has on those around you that you mix with as they watch you your neighbours, your family members. You are exposing by being who you are and by your life. I wonder, have you ever broken the law of the land, anybody? Don't put your hand up. How many of you have ever broken the speed limit? Don't, don't, put, don't put your hand up. It's just a, it's, that's a given, all right? <laughs> yeah. So, yes, yeah, all right. Yeah, okay, I put my hand up. Um, what's the effect when you're driving along and you see a, car, a police car parked? Right? What's the immediate effect? Well, I look at my speedometer to start with, and then you'll slow down. <laughs> right? You slow down. Or you, or it, it just has an effect on you, doesn't it? Just because of who they are and what they're doing. And in a way, what they're doing, that, that police car there, is, it's, it's having a positive effect. It's reinforcing what's good. but It's exposing, just by being there, what's bad. Because <laughs> you slow down. And that's a little like, a bit like, as Christians, in our behaviour, in our lives, in, in just living out our Christian life, yet we are reinforcing what's good and right, and we sh that's what we should be doing, but actually there is a sense in which whoa, there is an exposure of what's not right. You know, living out your family life as a Christian before others. Living out your marriage, or your work life in your workplace. It's talking about the effect that that has, that you have on others as they see your life. They observe your behaviour. They see your good works, practical good works, your goodness, the things that you do, your attitudes. Jesus said, didn't he, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, if, if, if you've got Christ in your life, and you're living in the light 
and you're seeking to praise God and you're seeking to trust God, you have a beautiful thing there. Don't, don't diminish what you have. That is a very, very precious thing. The Christian life is something good. It's beautiful. It's God's will for everyone. It's not about being perfect. It's not about you know, living a perfect life or anything. And it's actually facing all the challenges and the problems that everybody else faces. But you're doing your best with God's help to please God. And that is a good thing. That actually shows the light of Christ. You know, that's, that's not to be... Dim that's, not, that's not to be sort of... Well, it doesn't matter. That, that's only a little thing. No, that's an important thing. We're to live it and show it. So by our character and conduct, we bring light, God's light, into a dark world. And by that, God uses us to help people come to that light. Now, not everybody will like the light. You know, if you're a Christian, you begin a new job. And because you want to please God, you're honest when you're filling your timesheet and your expenses. If everybody else up to then has been exaggerating the time that they've put in and their expenses, do you think that everybody's attitude will be, oh, well done, we're so glad that you've come to expose what we're doing? No. There won't be a pleasure about that. They won't be welcomed by everybody. Warren Wearsby in his uh, commentary on uh, Colossians, he tells of a young friend who, who, who got a job to earn some money that he could, so he could go to college. And this young man, he, he was a Christian, he wanted to give his employer a good day's work each day, so he worked very hard and very conscientiously. The trouble was his zeal showed up the laziness of his other employees. So, did they congratulate him? Did they change? No, they didn't like it. They fought back. And one of them falsely accused this young man of doing something wrong. And as a result, he lost his job. But he kept his character, kept his witness, kept his testimony. He was faithful to God. His reward is in heaven, but his reward was there as well. He would be blessed. There is a cost, isn't there, sometimes, to doing what you know to be right. I was thinking when, when, you know, when Jesus was on earth, his perfect life and character actually revealed, actually, that some of the, many of them, those that we were mixing with, were actually living sham lives. They were saying things, but they weren't living it out. And so he was hated. Our, our text for the year comes from John 15. And it's lovely, isn't it, John, about, all about abiding in Christ. But you know, if you just go a bit further, this was, the, this was given, spoken, the day before Jesus was crucified. And if you go about a bit further on in John 15, the tone darkens. It gets very dark. And Jesus uses the word, begins to use a word that it's been already mentioned today, and it's hatred. Eight times he uses it in the next few passages, the next few verses in John 15, from eight, verse 8 onwards. And it's used of himself that he would be hated and his, and his followers would be hated. Why? 
Because Jesus was the light of the world. And the light exposes the darkness and darkness does not like light. You say, but I don't understand. Isn't light a beautiful thing? Not if you like the darkness. And that's why the world hates the light. The light exposes the sin and the sinfulness of people's heart. Let me just read this. I'll just read a few verses in John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, hates, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Don't be, exp- don't be surprised if your testimony is rejected. Or people don't actually, actually welcome the words that you're saying, or even the life that you're living. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin but now they have no excuse for their sin. So why does the world hate the light? Well, because the world likes darkness, generally speaking. And Jesus spoke about that often. You know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And so on. We know that. But do you know what comes after that? The tone darkens. John 3.19, verse 20. Verse 19 and 20 says this, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Now that's an amazing commentary on the world we live in. A world that because it loves the darkness turns everything on its head and it it calls good things bad and bad things good. Have you noticed that? So what used to be said 20 years ago was bad is now good. Or 50 years ago. I don't know if anybody's seen the film Wall Street with uh, Michael Douglas. I haven't seen it. I've, I've read about, I love reading about films and reviews. And Michael Douglas in, this, he, he, in that film, he played a corporate financier and he was really, really bad. And uh, Michael Douglas, he, he sort of, what, whatever it took to get more money, no matter who, who suffered. And one of the phrases, his motto apparently was this, greed is good. Greed is good. That's his philosophy. That was his warped way of thinking. He turned a bad thing into a good thing. That's what's happening today. So today in society, you're out there, you know what, the, especially on the media, vanity, vanity and pride is good. You know, it's whether, it's whether it's to do with your looks or what you wear or what you achieve. You know, to be full of yourself is celebrated. 
and glamorized. You just have to watch The Apprentice to, to see that express. But the, the Holy Spirit, through his word, says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's good. The world's turned good for bad and bad for good. The world says get money and if you get more money, we'll rejoice with you. Win the lottery, we'll go, oh, that's great, it's a great thing. And the Bible says, well, be content with what you have. That's a good thing. Andrea Williams reminded us last week, didn't she? Being pro-abortion now is good. Because you're standing up for the rights of women. To do what they want to do with their bodies. Whereas God's word shows that the sanctity of life and the sacredness of life trumps those rights. Except in exceptional circumstances. So good as we and if and if you say that, then you're being extreme. You're out of touch. You're uncaring to women. So good has become bad, and bad's become good. She reminded us that the prevailing view in our country is that being pro-homosexuality is good, because we have equal rights to do as we please. Whereas the Bible clearly shows marriage to be between man and a woman. That's God's will. But if you say that, you are accused of being unfair and judgmental. And you label as homophobic and unloving and intolerant. So good has become bad and bad has become good. And she gave other examples. By the way, on this whole thing of equal rights, I was thinking, that, that's the sacred cow today, isn't it? Equal rights. Whenever these things are debated. But if equal rights means going against God's will and God's rights to say what is right, those rights are wrong rights, right? If you follow that argument. God has the right to say what is right, not us. But you know, there's nothing under the sun in this. Just look at Isaiah, if you've got time, we've got time, Isaiah, very quickly, Isaiah 5, verse 20. This, is, this was written two and a half thousand years ago. Right, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Nothing new under the sun. Woe, woe to those, this is God speaking, woe to those who call evil good, and good evil. Who put darkness for light, and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. That's amazingly up to date, isn't it? And that's what's happening today. And it will increase. And God hasn't changed. The warning still stands. Woe to those who do that. So there's no doubt. Let me finish with this and bring this to a close. There's no doubt that we live in days of opposition. No doubt about that. In opposition, friends, will increase. These days, I think it was Roger Carswell, that the last um, that Truth Without Compromise conference last Saturday, he, week, week yesterday, he, he was saying this, he was saying, in this country, in the last 150 years, we are, living, we are living in abnormal times. The last 150 years have been abnormal. In that, there's been little persecution. The cent all the centuries around that, and in other parts of the world, there has been great opposition. We've been preserved from that. But the opposition will begin 
to increase more and more. No doubt about it. The Bible predicts that, prophesies that, before Christ's return. But we are living in days of great opportunity. It's a broken world. There's much evil being done. But there's one way that the darkness can be turned and people in darkness can find Christ and that's by the light shining. You know, when the darkness shines the most, the lightness, the light shines the brightest. And praise God by God's grace at work in us. We are able to say and show to a non-Christian world and to those who live around us and those who we mix with that we have something precious, something wonderful. We have a gospel that not only changes lives and saves lives rather, it changes lives. And you are that light. You've got that light. You're different. If, you're, if you know Jesus, your light is shining. God's blueprint for life and for family life is amazing and fantastic and it's the very, very best. And so we have confidence as we live out our lives that our light is the true light. It's Christ's light. And that's why Paul ends or gives that quotation. I'll finish with this. Verse 14 in Ephesians 5. Therefore, he says, that's God says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. That's, that's the effect that light has. It brings life. It helps people to wake up. It causes people to come to Christ. And friends, we, we can trust God. It, our, our, we might think our light is flickering, it's weak, small, but God can use that to awaken a conscience, can help people to find that Jesus is true and come to Christ. So let's, by God's grace, do good. Let's not be frightened, not be afraid of rejection. Let's live boldly, stand tall, not be ashamed of the gospel. The gospel has power. So let's speak it, let's live it, let's proclaim it, let's believe it. And... Uh, Praise God, it's Jesus we're sharing and shining for. He's King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and He's the light of the world, and He lives in us. Amen. We're going to sing a song, and I invite the band up. And I wanted to sing a song that I don't think, well, I think some of you may not know, uh, but we've sung it a few times, I think more than an evening service. Or oh, church, arise and put your armour on. And uh, it was new to James and the band, so they've learnt it and thank them for that. It, it's got this call to stand firm for Christ with our armour on and not be afraid or ashamed. And the second verse, you just put the second verse up, Ashley. So it says, that it talks about our call, the way it talks about our call to war. Have I got that? Our call to war to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. You know, we're loving people. We've got to love them. And yet at the same time, stand against the darkness and the prince of darkness. And uh, I think it says uh, later on as well, when faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure and Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance 
of nations. So we'll sing this. We're going to sing it. Just sing the first verse to you. Get used to it. And then, and then we'll stand to sing again the first verse. So just listen to the first verse as it's sung. Christ we stand in glory. So our Father, we ask that you by your Spirit would put strength into every stride. Give us grace for every hurdle. Lord, we want to run the race. We want to keep our eyes on Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you it speaks to us today. Thank you, Lord, for the light that you've given us, the light of Christ. Help us, Lord, we pray, as we go into this world and go into this week, to live out boldly, unashamedly for you. Lord, not with any sense of self-righteousness, but with a humble attitude, trusting in you. Help us, Lord, not to be ashamed to shine. Help us, Lord, to do what is good, to be zealous for goodness. Lord, to live for truth and integrity. Help us, Lord, to live for purity and holiness. Help us, Lord, we pray, to take the opportunities that you give us to open our mouths, to share and to talk about the wonders of our salvation. Lord, bless us, we pray. Thank you that you are changing lives today. Thank you for those who've come to know Jesus in these last few months and this last year. Lord, we pray that we might see more and more coming to Christ, for he is worthy of all worshipping and praising him. So, Lord, bless us now, we pray, and part us with that blessing, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.